0: Hey guys, welcome to today's episode or today's radio show. Um, thank you for joining us for another um, show. My name is Sagal. I am a final year French and Hispanic Studies student at Queen Mary, and I'm joined by a special guest. This is not please. My name is Ifra, and I am also a final year
1: student at Queen Mary, studying international politics.
0: Hmm. Come on. But the difference <laughs> with you is that you're actually studying abroad, aren't you?
1: Yes, so I am actually in. Drum rolls. Come on, do the drum roll. I am in La France. Woo! Mm -hmm. I am actually at the ULIP campus. Um, So that stands for University of London Institute in Paris. But it is a course that is um, with Queen Mary. So technically, I am a Queen Mary student, but I'm Mm -hmm. doing my studies abroad.
0: Yeah. Calm. Well, today's topic that we've chosen to discuss is basically all about Islamophobia, secularism and France, seeing as we both have experience in terms of, I guess, living in a French environment and Mm -hmm. working in French and just the whole, like, hypocrisy surrounding secularism and our own personal experience with Islamophobia. So let's just jump straight in or like us. (laughs) Let's do it. The first (laughs) thing I want to start off with is saying, Macron, suck your mother. <laughs> Did you see the tweet he made the other day? Which tweet? He makes a lot. It's, it was like, um secularism has never killed anyone. Ah. That one. That one was like, funny. n'a jamais tué personne. Are you mad? Are <laughs> <laughs> I have to say is, <laughs> 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 oh. what was your reaction to that? Because I was absolutely pissed off. The thing is, my reaction to that is
1: similar to my reaction to anything he's been saying. As a mm. reason, I think everyone's fed up of him, and I feel like what's happening right now in France is telling of a greater, mm. a pandemic even, mm. but more mm. so an epidemic that exists in <laughs> France
0: and their relationship with just difference. Hundred percent. percent. I couldn't have said a better word, and especially within his comments in terms of. Him saying secularism never killed anyone is denying and it's is kind of ignoring all of the colonial genocide, everything that that France has done in the name of secularism, as if sec. Uh, the, the thing is, you can get into it in terms of like when you're thinking about in terms of like colonization. France is one of the biggest empires, and yeah. they committed the wo- some of the worst atrocities ever. Yeah. So. I'm thinking this same for him to move his mouth and open his stinky mouth and for him to say that it's never killed someone. <laughs> are you mad? Like, oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, flipping out. Anyway, I'm, like, that, that whole thing's funny. Yeah, it's absolutely exactly. uh, It definitely, I, I resonate in terms of 100% sure what you say in terms of like just how much, how hypocritical he is and how, hip, like, whenever I've. Yeah, um, the hypocrisy. 100% whenever I've been to, like, France or, like, I've been to or stay there for like longer than just a little holiday or just like being with family or whatever, I've always noticed just how how foreign they make Muslims feel. Yeah. Even in, like our hijabs have become a political statement, our whole presence, our yeah. whole being is politicised so much. Um, and it's not as obviously, we have that to an extent in England, yeah, but it's not the same as in France. Like in France, exactly. it's like on drugs or something, it's literally times yeah. a billion percent. I wanted to ask you, what's your experience like living there, living in Paris, and like obviously being a visible Muslim? How does that? How does that? Like, how do you feel? How does it affect you? Yeah, good question. Good question. Um,
1: <laughs> I think, I think it's very difficult to put into words the extent mm-hmm. to which France has essentially caused so much, and how mm-hmm. its legacies of colonial practice remains today. But when it comes to my relationship with France in general, I think I have to go back to the point when I actually moved. So mm. I moved in 2018. So September 2018, I started my studies there. And mm. Paris specifically, right? Um, mm. Because Paris is very different to the rest of the country. <laughs> it's so <different>. and, it's, <laughs> and it's many islands, mm. <laughs> so more colonies, you know? Uh, that, that's a whole different. Conversation. That's a whole other conversation, honestly. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, so the thing is, I did come into France with a certain lens to begin with. I mm-hmm. was aware of the, the 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 legacy that France has set, mm-hmm. and how that may affect me. So mm-hmm. before I even went, a lot of people were saying to me, "Oh, Ifra, how how are you going there when you wear hijab? Is it allowed?" What is it like? Are you not scared? Are you not fearful? Mm. Just um a lot of fear-mongering around the idea of me going to France. But to mm. my pleasant surprise, the amount of Muslims in France and the amount of visible Hela. Muslims, there are hella. There are so many. Oh. And I feel like it's so downplayed because you don't see it in popular media, but it, it doesn't take even a minute walking down the streets of Paris to see someone who is visibly Muslim. <laughs> Literally one and, and it's so strange because there is no certain look to a Muslim, and I think yeah. we need to highlight that. So yeah. a lot of people would associate Islam with the veil, In French, that's how they describe it. They'd say the veil. Um, But there are, as a result of a lot of laïcité
0: legislation,
1: um, there are a lot of people who do not observe the hijab or they do not observe modest wear, maybe out of choice, maybe because of all these other factors that I'll discuss later. But, yeah, I was just amazed at how many Muslims there were in comparison yes. to the UK, they have a bigger Muslim so minority. I'd say global majority, but, <laughs> but there are so many more Muslims there than in um, the UK, for example. Yet, mm. we still see this animosity towards France's Muslim population, even yes. though they're in the millions. You know, France is diverse yeah. and multicultural, but unfortunately, the way the way laïcité has manifested in Mm. public discourse and legislation has made France
0: ever more (laughs) sectarian. Hundred percent. No. I was even looking at the numbers beforehand. They have five million Muslims and they have the largest Muslim minority in Western Europe. Yes. So they have more Muslims than in the UK, they have more Muslims than in in Germany or like and imagine a country that has that many Muslims but is so intolerant to us. Yeah. And exactly. uh, But do you know what the strange thing is
1: I feel like um, laïcité has been um, taken from its original purpose. Yeah, definitely I don't misconstrued. Know how better, very, yeah misconstrued, that's the word. Mm-hmm. So the thing is with laïcité is, uh, for, for people who do not know what laïcité is, it is a French word for secularism. So mm-hmm. it's a constitutional principle of the French state and it has been defined in a way to describe the separation of the church and state it stems Uh from say the age of enlightenment which was i believe 17th 18th century Uh and then it was pretty much born from the revolution so we actually see the term in article one of the french constitution making the french state indivisible and secular essentially but then Uh the way it's it's manifested first in, in, I think, public discourse is how laicité was implemented in education. Uh-huh. I don't know if you guys studied it in your course, but we actually had to do a whole module on this in wow. which was very interesting. Props to Peter Brett, School of International Relations, <laughs> <laughs> Politics and International Relations. But um, he actually went through France's history and more importantly it's colonial history to allow us to understand how things have gotten to the way they are now and with education more so there were these laws that were implemented during um during, I think it was 1904, and um, these laws are known in France as the Jules Ferry Law. And oh. Jules Ferry, he is actually a French statesman. He was responsible for what we know today as the French baccalaureate, the education system. He oh. pretty much formed it, and he actually became prime minister for some time. And basically, this, this um, law, was in 1904 1905 it meant that oh no 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 1904 1905 was the law on the separation of state and churches mm-hmm. um, but Jules Ferry's law actually came much earlier than that it came in 1881 and basically it made public schools secular with the intention mm-hmm. to make schools a space where students are equal and free to learn regardless mm-hmm. of religious or social backgrounds Mm -hmm. Um, but the irony is that the same person who put forward this law also said something like this right just listen to this he said he said said to the chamber of deputies in 1884 so three years after he said that it is a right for the superior races. Because they have a duty. They have the duty to civilise the inferior races. Inferior races being who France actually colonised during those times. So um, majority of the time we point towards Africa and sub-Saharan Africa. Let's not forget North Africa. (laughs) But Africa for the most part. So yeah. So
0: that's where it came from in school. So the thing is, I'm not even surprised at all by that, just because of I, like, when I say hypocrisy, I mean specifically in terms of the hypocrisy of France as like a colonial state. How are you yeah. doing up colonization at the same time saying secularism is X Y Z? the same same mechanism you used to colonize and subjugate millions of people and literally yeah. make their it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. And when you're talking about education, it's yeah, so. crazy how. The same person who who out oh, this well, I thought it was about Jules something yeah yeah okay. Jules Ferry this, Jules yeah the same, yeah, same guy who pushed for secularism with education you saw that like the adverse effect on, on that like in terms of like, the flip side of that when you look at mm-hmm. colonial um like colonial um what are they called colonial states I guess so yeah, yeah. when you're looking at for example let's say North Africa. The way that language was used as a tool of colonisation is You're Thinking about education and how the, the language of education was French, how all of the native and the indigenous languages, including Arabic and the, the Amazigh and the, the native tongues yep. of the country, were subjugated and made people who spoke a, who only spoke the language were treated as second-class citizens. Yeah. And you see in other places in the world, basically French, in, French as a language, as, a, as an education system, impose itself on other people. The same so called superior system of learning. How <laughs> can you at the same time of knowing that disgusting history and yeah. knowing how much terror and violence and terrorism that France has done in the past and continues to do, how are you moving your mouth to say that secularism is great? That exactly. secularism is never Exactly. I'm not going to lie. Macron, yeah, at first he seemed like he was decent when he first got elected. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know what? He seems centrist, you know, kind of like yeah, center somewhere. Yeah, but. Clearly, he's basically like a replication of the people, the, the past people, like the the Chirac guy. What was his name? Yeah, Jacques Chirac. Yeah, and all the other people, the people who are right-wing. So. Yeah.
1: So, interestingly enough, it was under that very president that you just mentioned, Jacques oh, Chirac, yeah. that um ost- uh, ost- ostentatious religious symbols were banned. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, that happened in two thousand and four. So Jacques right. Chirac actually said he declared, in the spirit of secularism, right. that these religious symbols—so for Christians, it would be large crosses; Muslim women, um, veils, turbans for the Sikhs, and kippas for the Jews—he actually passed a law stating that those would be banned in public. Mm-hmm. um in in the public sphere and that religion he was an advocate for religion in private similar to how macron says today um that there should be a enlightened islam and that mm-hmm. they are only tolerant of religion when it is practiced in private
0: or mm-hmm. <laughs> strange or, or in, on the, in their own way as in when it's when it's kind of filtered down their own yeah exactly system, like, all the but it's i was gonna say down, 100%, 100%, 100% down version 100%, 100% watered down version and i was gonna add as well that it's funny how like within the language you specifically see a mention to like for example what Muslim women what Muslim women wear. And I'm just when I like <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, you can you guys not sit back and see yourselves? Like can you not just look yeah. at how you're continuing the colonial dominance on Muslim on the female Muslim body. You're con- yeah. that same dominance that used to happen in in parts of the of the of the world where there was a large, or not even specifically Muslim, but just a female, the other, the ethnic female body. Mm-hmm. You're continuing that same domination, that same colonial dominance, and you're bringing it. So these same people who, especially who fought for your country during the world wars and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, and the same people who you terrorized and committed mass violence against. Yeah. They've now come to come to the motherland they've come to France, and you are now inflicting the same sort of colonial dominance onto them by controlling how Muslim women are choosing to wear choosing to express their religion the thing you know the most annoying thing about Islamophobia is how is how at the end of the day the victims are always Muslim women yeah. And it's- like, even within our own lives, we can see that. So, something... girl, so, girl, you should
1: actually try to explain to anyone listening, if they're unaware of the situation, you should try to give um, background to it. Because we can say a lot of things like, oh, look at France's response to this and the, the mm-hmm. history of this, but we actually need to
0: bring yeah, out true. the receipts. True, well, like, true. I can I can go into it because basically, yeah. like okay, the only good thing about like my course is that the... You have a couple of nice, interesting modules that I, I, like you can pick and stuff. So I chose mm-hmm. a module that I like a couple of years ago, um, and it was speak. It was all about like France. It was called Big Up to Lecturer. He's he's like he retired now, but he was my favorite favorite lecturer. His name is Edward Hughes. I think it's Irish got Edward. Big Up Edward. Yeah. Um, it was the module was called Out of Place Literature and Dis- Dislocation, and it was basically talking about the that the diaspora like French literature throughout the like it was talking about French literature in terms of like social class. And then in terms of, for example, like the Algerian diaspora and like race and, and colonial like colonisation and how all of that came to play, it was such an amazing module. Um, and anyway, basically what I mean by the like the colonial dominance and that kind of like the, the in a way, the possession and the need to possess the female Muslim body, what I mean by that is basically during... Because France colonized Algeria for a long time, yeah. And I'll, I speak about Algeria specifically because I've read a lot, up a lot about it. But and just to put in, mm. Algeria was
1: the biggest French. It wasn't even just a French colony. It was actually part of mm. the French metropole. It was. It was in the yes. map. So if you had a map of France, you would have right below the Mediterranean, across Marseille, you'd have Algeria right there.
0: Mm. But yeah, continue. Sorry. Absolutely. You know, it's a good point to add as well. Like, it's it's completely mad. It was literally viewed as an extension of France. But um, basically, during that same period of like colonial dominance and all that kind of stuff, d- during those a hundred plus years that they were that they colonized Algeria, mm-hmm. you had things like mass unveiling ceremonies where they would force Muslim women to unveil themselves in front of large crowds and, and stuff like that. You would have like you would have, for example, like what they call like erotica and like paintings of yeah. new orientalism. Have, yeah. Fam, Orientalism comes into this differently, but you have you have like the the control and the need to dominate and possess the female Muslim body during that time was crazy, and so during that time still we're still yeah still still, and then now when you look at present day France, you see the same type of rhetoric, the whole thing of the Muslim woman is oppressed. That's the same things they used to say beforehand. They used to say the Mus- Muslims are these um oppressive beings who want to who control their women blah blah blah. And then what they in that same time as saying that Muslim women were oppressed, they would force them to do to unveil themselves. So and then now you're seeing the same thing. Literally, like it can be like that that situation can be put into present day. You're having yeah. where Muslim women are being fined. Just if the Muslim women, mm-hmm. were, she was wearing she was just look, wearing long sleeves. You know, she just wants to cover arms and that. And they literally told her to leave the beach or take off take off your like remove your clothing and wear a bikini or whatever, yeah. or leave the beach, which is you know, the same exact colonial the same like I want people to deep the same colonial measures that were that were being used during the whatever the nineteenth twentieth century are being used currently when yeah. you, when you're looking at the way that the that the media the French media portrays Muslim women as oppressed it's the same discourse that you're seeing. Back in the day it's the same thing we don't live in a post one of the questions i was gonna ask you <laughs> is do we live in a post-colonial era i don't i don't believe we do because the same colonial rhetoric we're seeing this today
1: yeah that's interesting because you would still think that it is an imperial power the way it has agency over not only the muslims they have agency over the Jewish populations, other mm. other faith communities. they have mm. this agency over the the black populations that exist in France. They have agency mm. over their former black colonies in Africa. They still collect colonial debt, okay, <laughs> which is another thing to go into, but yeah, I oh,
0: think you brought it. man. Honestly, that in terms of the colonial debt, and you can even mention Haiti and how when they yeah. wanted to get there, when yeah. they fought for their independence, there was a debt that was a tax that was enforced on them that they only paid back during the nineteen something, and like it's, oh, it's that's a whole conversation. But sorry, carry on. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, big up Haiti, our first black republic, but. <laughs> I think it's yeah, I think it's um this this anti muslim sentiment anti religion the religious sentiment it just goes to show how how i would not how far we've come how how much we've regressed as a society um but yeah, as for whether or not it's a post colonial state, I think you put it well when you said how. It's still, it's still attached to its prior practices, okay. but the thing is, I feel like it is um, in a transition where, mm-hmm. though French imperialism established this hierarchy when it comes to race, and let's say white versus black, let's say. Uh let's say um religious versus non-religious practicing let's say religion versus secularism Uh um global north versus global south these practices to sustain these hierarchies have not really shifted and they're still Uh perpetuated today and then Uh also we have to take into account how um the relations with domination and how france um utilises its agency, has an economic, political and cultural impact on mm-hmm. the colonised. So let's say this this can take form in several ways. We mm-hmm. see it with the lack of representation in France of, of its Muslim population. So we're talking about Muslims specifically. But we do see it with the lack of representation. We see it in the way that I think I can go into more depth about it later but how mm-hmm. Um, there are how do I say it there are disparities when it comes to finding work finding jobs Um, as someone who is visibly Muslim, Muslim presenting or Arab presenting with a name let's say your name is Mohammed it is going to be far Far worse. <laughs> the treatment will. be... There is actually a statistic on this that I hope to bring up later. But um, if you are ethnic presenting, it will. The um this this agency that France has over you will take. It will. It will have a role in how you live your life, whether you like it or not. And what's sad is that life is supposed to be. Separation of mm. is supposed to be a separation of religion from government affairs, but it mm. is also supposed to be a separation of government affairs and its implications in um, determination of practice, mm. uh, practicing religion, and what's also not talked about is how laicity essentially forbids religious intervention in state affairs yet government involvement in religious affairs is prominent in France Mm -hmm. and that's that's given rise to the conversations we're having today you know if we were Mm -hmm. able to follow through with laicite in the form it was created to be practiced in then Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have the problems we have today but then again I can also say laicite is inherently born from a state let's say this was the 18th century 17th century france which perpetuated these global hierarchies that i was talking about so let's r- get rid of that city completely maybe <laughs> we
0: won't have these problems today mm-hmm. and i wanted to jump on something you mentioned before and I, th- I know you wanted to speak about after as well but as well like the whole thing about how if you have a muslim presenting name or if your name is clearly Muslim, like like you said, Muhammad, so many people change their names. Yes, to like Jack Mo. John. <laughs> or so they, they start changing up their names. And the fact, because I mean, yeah. the reason behind the vote because in France, when you're sending your CV, you have to attach an image, right? Yes, you do. So imagine you, if you're a visible Muslim, or if you're even a visible ethnic minority, And you have a visibly non-French or non-white French name, your chances of getting a job are so slim in comparison to your white counterparts. And it's the the level of discrimination in terms of like, like you said, jobs. But then at the same time, I'm just deep in like in France, they don't even I'm sure they don't have a census, do they? They don't recognize No, they don't. Yeah. They don't recognize race as like a as a thing. They're supposed to be, I think they say colourblind. How could you be colourblind and then be a coloniser as well?
1: Make that make sense. Make it make sense. And that's the the double standard and somewhat irony that we see today. Um, But yeah, you were saying how the name could pose as an issue. And Mm -hmm. personally, I've seen that take effect in my life in France so much. So that it also happened recently when I was looking for a new apartment. (laughs)
0: Mm oh my god yeah so
1: so i'd go by i'd go by an english name just because (laughs) with a very very english name um i'd go by what name do you pick so the thing is i would usually pick names that my friends already had so Mm -hmm. i chose brooke and don't get me wrong brooke sounds very american but it's english in general right but the mm. thing is, I found no success when I was um, speaking to landlords, landladies about um, renting their apartments mm-hmm. just because of my name. But mm. there is a privilege that comes with being British and that's mm-hmm, me being able to say that I am from England. And what's mm-hmm. interesting in the French language is that the, the way spoken French um, describe someone from the UK you wouldn't say you are like you wouldn't say you're British you wouldn't say yeah. you're, you are of the United Kingdom, you would say you're from England. Oh, yeah. Angleterre is more used than mm-hmm. let's say Royaume-Uni or Britannique like that doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to use it in spoken language so I can easily say that I am English mm-hmm. <laughs> feminine and then um, I would have a better chance at finding an apartment.
0: Mm. <laughs> That's, uh, and it's horrible. But how did it? Like for example, obviously when you speak to them on the phone, and then when you go to them face to face, I'm a, sh- oh, I'm a sh- I'm the shock. The shock,
1: the shock. <laughs> it's so funny. The thing is, I feel like it would be so much different if mm. if I was from another um Muslim like ethno-religious community so let's mm. just say I was um like I was North African mm. then I feel like I would have been in a way discriminated against much mm. more um and the thing is we can we when we're discussing things like secularism and religion and especially in the french case we also have Mm. to discuss race because the race struggles and the struggles for faith are hand in hand Mm. (laughs) so imagine being black and then being a muslim woman who observes Mm. a veil Mm. then you wouldn't know where the response necessarily comes from let's say it's a negative response maybe it's Uh the blackness that's threatening to them maybe Uh it's the fabric on your head you know Uh the the very fabric that covers your hair Uh was so much but I found it hard to find an apartment Uh but it Uh did get easier when I just had to use an English name, strangely enough. Um, but yeah, I think it would be very different for someone who is actually a French citizen or a French resident um, and who isn't some way an expat like I am, you know? There's a difference between expatriates and then migrants or immigrants, let's say. And working, I don't know if I mentioned this before to you, Sagar, but mm-hmm. I did work with migrants for some time mm-hmm. um, because France is at the border of, the, it's essentially at the border of that Mediterranean crossing that shows up in mm-hmm. the news. And um, essentially, it's so strange, but the majority of these migrants. I know it's a bold statement, but majority do want to actually... They go into France with the intent of leaving France. (laughs) Unfortunately, France is not like that. But they do intend on going to the UK. So me being British in that case is um of benefit to the french state because we can actually help with them integrating and help um, english language for example and also being from the uk Mm. allowing to get so much work just english is my native language but then again you don't look like a native but you sound like a native. (laughs) and what do they see first they see how you look don't hear your voice first unless it's over the phone so that Mm -hmm. is why I prefer going on the phone first instead of (laughs) presenting
0: myself in person Mm. (sighs) that is there's definitely like you said there's definitely a privilege with being English because like even when you go abroad as well there's definitely like a whole sense of oh you're English so you have a bit more there's a bit of privilege attached to it as well I wanted to like jump on your whole thing of like I, there's the whole thing of being a black Muslim woman is that you don't you're not always sure what which of your of your identities is causing offence. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I remember like this similar. So I so just to give like context as well. Um, this. So I'm in my fourth year, my third year. I went on in my year abroad and I was in Geneva for the first semester. Shut up, I was, Geneva. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Yeah. But when I was when I was there, I had there was this one creepy, scary slash. I should have told mum, but I didn't. Incident, yeah, that happened. Um, with, basically, I got followed home. So I got stopped, you know, mm-hmm.
1: by
0: this... I this. Yeah, I, t- I know, I told you, if I had the whole story, yeah. yeah. But basically, the story's long, yeah. Actually, you know what, let me, let me do a quick two-minute summarization of the story, yeah. Okay, um, the time starts now. Now, Ooh, okay, cool. So basically, okay, um, I had planned to go somewhere, flopped, jumped back on the bus to go home, um, the bus for some reason it stopped like um like the whole bus stopped working I had to walk it was a couple of I was a couple of stops away from my house I was like you know where it's calm and there were students because I was staying in like a student accommodation so there was other students walking with me so I was like you know what it is Put my headphones on was listening to some music just chilling walking yeah and it was dark by the way it was at least 8 p.m normally I told myself like when I was abroad I was like mm-hmm. I'm not leaving the house too late but it is what it is it was it was quite, I think eight or nine o'clock it was quite dark here yeah and this is winter remember so it's dark dark anyway so i'm walking like down this it's like one long road and at the end of the road is like a traffic light and then i cross it and i'm at the like the building for my like my residence yeah anyway i'm as i get to the traffic light there's this lady and a dog and like you know when and there was another there's like a her, um some and this man random man um walking his dog as well so these two dogs saw each other start doing like wild wild, you know start barking at each other then um and that's when i noticed the lady i was like oh dogs you know the inner Somali and me jumped and I was like, ooh, I don't like dogs. So I moved across, like listen, I was at the um the crossing. Yeah. So I moved across, I moved like to the side of the crossing because I didn't want to be next to the dog, obviously. Um, then I'm I'm still in my own zone. I crossed the street, went inside my building. Every, I'm completely oblivious to the whole world. I got inside my lift and the lady and the dog came in. By the way, the lady is at least she's hitting 60 at least, yeah. She got this fat white dog. I think it was white, I can't remember the colour. Anyway, it was a big white dog of her. Um, she came into lift and I was doing like because I don't like dogs. So she was like, oh, jump to me. Then I was like, oh, you know what? Let me not make a scene. So the dog came inside the lift with us. And the lady was just standing there. This other Spanish girl came in the lift, yeah? She, I know she's Spanish because later on we spoke and she had an accent. Yeah? <laughs> anyway, so came in, she came with Oh, Sagal, tell them which yeah. languages you
1: speak. You said you're Somali, right? Oh, we haven't. Listen, yeah, we haven't explained our identity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me, let's come back to this after I finish okay, the story. Identity. You have one minute left. <laughs> I right, cool,
0: anyway so I got in the lift the lady was standing there you know most like, res- like student residents or whatever they have like you have a key code that you press to use the lift so that there's no random people coming in the lift or whatever the lady was just stood there waiting so the Spanish girl pressed, used her key code and pressed the, lip, pressed the thing the, re- the, la- the lady randomly asked me oh what floor are you on and I'm I'm in my zone and I, I didn't hear the first time and I was like oh and I was trying to think of how to say 11th in French because my mind went completely <laughs> and then I, I, like I just gave up. I,
1: like I just that.
0: gave up and I was like oh 11th and then I was expecting her to press it. I was, like, I was thinking, oh, she's doing me a favour. She didn't do me a favour. She, she just looked at me. And I was like, okay. It is really, just a bit weird. The Spanish lady, girl pressed it for me. And then the, she asked the old lady what floor she was, she was going to. And she said, seven. I was like, okay, cool. Anyway, I'm in my zone. The lady, the, the lift goes up here. The lady is saying something. I, the, I, again, I'm listening to music. So I literally didn't hear what she said. I took my earphones and I was like, huh? Oh, you know the ones where you, someone saying something and you're just smiling and nodding? That's what I was doing, basically. It got to the seventh floor now. The lady, the old lady was about to get off. The lift opened, yeah, the doors opened. She turned to me she said something. I was like, huh. So I took off my earphones, yeah. I took out my earphones and I was like, uh, excuse me, what do you say? And then she said, um, she's like, Oh, uh, it wasn't uh she's was like, it wasn't by chance that I came here. She said in French, yeah, and I was like, huh? She was like, S- <laughs> S- It's something. so she much more creepy in French. I know, she's like, C'est pas par hasard que je suis venue. And I was like, huh? I had to relax a moment of pause. I was like, what? And then the lady's smiling as well, by the way. She's grinning teeth. a whole, whole mouth's open, yeah? And the dog is just looking at me. The and then confidence. I'm like, oh, <laughs> the confidence. The lady left. And the Spanish girl was looking at me like, what? Anyway, when I went to my room, yeah, so she, she knew my floor number because I told her my floor number. I started hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. I called my sister. She was like, go to reception right now. And the, let me tell you, yeah, I know not everyone is Muslim here, yeah, but this lady gave me gin energy. She gave gin me vibes. I Sagal Sagal, Sagal, Sagal,
1: Sagal, hmm. yeah, Sagal. Hmm. I was hmm. just about to say she's given
0: major gin vibes, major, big time, big time. The Demon the energy. The Demon.
1: dog saw it as well. The dog was a witness. The dog was can see. Her.
0: Yeah, animals. The can dog, ah, oh, flipping out. That was it. Was creep. Anyway, when I went to reception, this is what I wanted to bring. This is what I wanted to bring up, yeah. Because I went, when I went down to reception. Obviously, I knew like it's either one or two things. She's not telling me that. I followed you here by basically for bans for no reason. Mm. It's either based on the fact that I'm wearing a hijab or the, the the fact that I'm black. I went to reception. The lady was not. She was literally not taking it seriously. I was like to her, are old oh, people allowed or are people with dogs allowed in the building? She's like no. I was like okay. So you just saw someone walk in the building with a dog and you didn't say nothing. And then she was like oh uh, I thought she was um I thought she was visiting someone. I said okay cool. She's not and I and she wasn't visiting anyone. Anyway. I told the whole story and whatever. The lady did not take me serious. Her response to the story was, oh, it's because of you, and she started, like, circling around her face, like, basically the same, because of your hijab. Yeah. That's not an answer, my friend. That's, that's not a response. I'm traumatised. I just saw someone who knows my floor number, and there's only a certain amount of doors on that floor. She knows where I live. She's got a dog that's big, and she's crazy as well. So, the, the basically, the whole story is a means of saying, the lack of response and how little they take our, our fears. They don't take anything seriously, basically. Yeah. Islamophobia. Obviously is a uh, it's it's ter- real, <laughs> It's real. Hashtag Islamophobia so is real. Allah is so real. And the thing is obviously terrorists like this is the this I wanted to mention this after as so well. I'll come yeah. back to later. But these terrorist attacks, obviously, they affect so many people, but they affect Muslims so much as well. Like our individual after terror a terrorist attacks, we have to, like for the next couple of weeks, Muslims, especially females, are on edge. I'm telling you, yep. we're on edge. Literally, when I'm at the train station, I'm standing at the back. I'm not trying to get pushed onto the trains. That when was I'm me at end, even I'm just now. The wall. I'm, not standing, yeah, I'm not standing next to the cars. So it's like we're on edge for the next two weeks. So it's a thing of we, we get affected by all these attacks. And when things like this happen where I'm getting and a, and a person of authority is not taking it seriously, it downplays how much we like, it kind of just dismisses us in a sense. And Ah, oh, it's stress. But you were sorry. You told me you wanted to mention identity and stuff. I don't yeah. know if you wanted to add it. So explain yourself. Where are you from? Yeah, so obviously, you know, big up Somalia, you know, them things, yeah. So yeah, I'm, obviously, I'm Somalia. I study French and Spanish. So the language I speak, yeah. So English, obviously, I'm speaking right now. Um, Somali, we say half half, yeah. Sometimes, yes, huff, sometimes huff. No. even right now, I don't even know how to say half
1: half in Somali, but I know how to say in Arabic. We say, nos, nos.
0: that's Somali. I was, I was literally gonna say the same thing for Somali, like, I think it's the same. Was well, yeah, them things. And then, oh, and then I so I study French and Spanish, so I speak French and Spanish, French to a better level than Spanish, but we mm. move. And yourself,
1: myself, I speak all languages. Pretty badly. Okay, we don't do self-deprecation here, but um no, I'm from the I was born in the UK. Um I am also, hundred also I said, No, you know? I'm saying to- I am oh my ends as in London North, North Weezy. Oh North Wheezy, Northwest yeah. Best NW Ten. <laughs> And
0: 10 yeah. don't, Alara, don't say more. That's your, that's your, uh, your postcard. Do you know
1: how big NW10 is? I right, come on. Either way, someone
0: essential, yeah? <laughs> Anyways, Let yeah. me pick up sw Everyone who lives in SW6, yeah?
1: <laughs> everyone, who, lives, though, like,
0: everyone who lives in NW10. Woof, woof. But... <laughs> Listen, ain't nobody from SW6 listening. Ooh, posh. <laughs> oh, posh. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. The class divisions you in saying, the UK.
1: Like were... um, yeah. I speak... Um, Somali is my native language, and I've learned French over time. My French is um, a work in progress, and then Arabic. My Arabic, you know, is very limited. Um, but we're trying out here. Um, so yeah. yeah. All
0: right, then. So people know not. They, they now? They now they know in it. Now they know who Yeah. Who it is. But I wanted to um to mention as well. Going back to the conversation, um, because. I don't know if you've seen the thing that came out the other day about um, Muslim Pro and the whole... Um, the <laughs> surveillance. <laughs> the other day? I said that was yesterday. <laughs> Listen, I take the other day for everything. I mean yesterday. Yes. Bulhara. Yeah, the whole thing about how they, they sell our data to the US government or something like the military. And I wanted to basically to mention the whole how Islamophobia and um, surveillance kind of go hand in hand. Obviously, in terms of like when you have... For example, France as a country which has the whole idea of like secularism or laicity, as you said
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how much they try to suppress and control religious speech and like the whole thing of like closing down like or mosques yeah. that kind of stuff and how the Muslim population are surveyed in a sense like there's so much surveillance and there's everything is so like we're hyper focused in the media like I was on, I wanted to ask you in French media how are Muslims presented like is it like frontline story, it, stories was it front page stories da how is it like where to
1: begin when it comes to media ha they
0: have a fun time
1: talking about muslims i feel like they get off talking about muslims to a sense um even when sagal you know ayan right um when our friend actually came to visit me in france she was so surprised at the amount of newspaper stands that had on their front pages pictures of muslim women or words that said, um, words and things um, that she was able to pick up as a non-French speaker. But it would say okay. things like jihad, it would say hijab, it would say all these um, all these known Muslim words, these messy words. Okay. But um, I think that alone, for someone who just comes into the country, that serves okay. as a testament to how... Muslims are portrayed in the media when they are portrayed in the media and you even want to mention you mentioned just before how there's this surveillance on the Muslim community and I've seen it (laughs) firsthand I've seen Mm -hmm. it firsthand in France um, but that's another topic uh, that's a topic for another day but when it comes Mm -hmm. to surveillance even recently there was um, the closure of an organization um, called Mm -hmm. Baraka City and that that was widespread news on French Twitter, um, just because it is one of the biggest Muslim organizations, um nonprofit organizations in France, and they are responsible for millions in charity going into um the communities that need it. Yet
0: they wow. were subject
1: to yeah, sadly enough, they were subject to um closure by the French state. Really? Yeah, yeah, this was right after the killing of Samuel Paty.
0: Oh my goodness. And
1: is- Samuel Patti, we actually need to mention that for context. Yes, yes, good.
0: Thanks for reminding
1: me. Um should I explain it or should you?
0: Yeah, no, you go go ahead. Okay, I'll, so I'll-
1: so recently, I believe what was it, October, right? I think it mm-hmm. was it was in the last two months. Um yeah. there was a school teacher who was killed in the Parisian suburbs by his own student. And the student being from, this is what the French um, media like to say, the student was of Chechnyan origin who had, Mm. um, who had, what was it, asylum status. Um, So, Mm. um, Chechens are, uh, I believe, yeah, Chechens in Russia are an ethno-religious group. They are Mm. one of the Muslim um, populations in Russia um, so mm-hmm. by association what happened, Macron's tweets um, mm-hmm. hyper surveillance um, the closure mm-hmm. of masjids attacks on masjids um, and closures of um, NGOs that are doing amazing work like Baraka City on no premise just mm-hmm. republicanism
0: <laughs> and this is the this is the harmful effect of secularism in a sense like this is what you're seeing when the state uses secularism as a as a weapon and ra- and removes it from its from its original i guess like, like we mentioned its original meaning of just separating the church and the state and using it and uses it as a means to suppress Muslim populations. you see stuff like this happen like you just mentioned, and it's mad and i and i I've even been noticing like how much they try to suppress like muslim like imams or like sheikhs or people who just are like religious people and they really they would be happier uh, if, and I've, I think I've seen it on like you know the random talk shows and stuff. They would be happy yeah. if, oh, those if the Quran was edited. They they want the Quran to be edited. They want it to be revised and full. They want uh, they 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 love to push this idea of modernizing Islam. Yes, that's what <laughs> Macron said exactly in the last month on Twitter. Enlightened Islam, furthermore, and what does that mean? Enlightened in whose view? In whose eye? What does enlightened mean? <laughs> Enlightened uh, means reformed, it means watered uh,
1: down, it means colonized. Is,
0: not, yeah, exactly, to, to whose eyes, as in reformed, in whose eyes, who is reforming it and, and by what standard? So, the whole thing is a mess, Allah, it, is. it doesn't make any sense. But I wanted to say as well, you know, because you mentioned Ayan, big up Ayan if she's listening, yeah? yeah sure. um, when she came and visited me as well, former qm also- student, first class <laughs> graduate. Say mm, Allah Allah and on, um, and them but when she came to uh, to visit me in Geneva as well, we also faced Islamophobia, which is just, I feel like, again, agains like she's coming to, <laughs> it's like a little flame. <laughs> I don't know, but the whole, thing, I told you the story about the whole, um, we decided to, this, okay, we haven't got that much time. Oh, the, um, the trek to, to the border. Yeah, we to hike the mountain and when we were at the top of it and stuff, but. I don't know if I have enough time to say it because it's kind of long. But basically, let's say we were trying to get a ride, uh, like hike, a, a hitch a ride down the um, mountain. Hitchhike. Hitchhike. yeah, exactly, Hitchhike. Maximum like five ten minutes because it's. And it's which side mountain. was this on? The French side or the Swiss? side? The French side. It was the French side. So it's called Mont, uh, Mont Salève. So it's like um, it's basically a little bit outside of Geneva, yeah, and it's it's but it's in France technically. And the, we were after, so it was like, about, like basically really late. It was quite. A, it wasn't late, it had just turned dark and we didn't realize that there was no way to get back down. So we had climbed there or walked there hike there. They had taken us maybe like three, two, three hours. Cause we started late, because we woke up late and whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. by the time we got to the top, it was dark and there was Uber wasn't working. There was no sort of like normally they have like this, like um, what are they called? Uh um in French it's called téléphérique, but it's like the uh, cable cars, that's it. They mm-hmm. have cable cars. Um, normally that, but because it was winter, it wasn't working or anything. But anyway, we tried to hitchhike down, and the way we got rejected, like left, right, and center, with <laughs> no and no remorse, literally, like and this, this one lady who took it like to another level. I had, and as well, imagine we're, we're nervous, we're cold, we're scared. I'm having to do up, preparing translation. I'm, I'm just, I'm yeah. tired. Reject, no rejection hurts. So, so I'm, I'm asking, like, I, I had asked this one lady, she was, imagine she even had a baby with us. So I'm thinking hey maybe you know motherly instincts nice yeah, no and I theory. asked her like, like are you going down towards the border because the border was at the foot of the mountain remember maximum five ten minutes drive and she was like she had space because she had they had two cars it was like a bigger people and she was like to me she she ignored me and then like the husband or the wife from them or like so she was like the mother the or, like the grandmother I mean the husband and the wife what the husband I think turned to me and said like, oh sorry we don't have space or something like that and as the woman was leaving. Clearly, she said it loudly. She was like, oh, um, what did she say? Oh, like, oh, what a cute story. <laughs> um, she literally, oh, was well. like, okay. um, what, did she, what did she even say? She was like, um, basically insinuating that we were we had ulterior, I was like ulterior motives, that we were basically going to rob them or something, that the, the reason why we wanted to hitchhike wasn't just because we wanted to live down to the bottom of the mountain. And she was French, so, mm. yeah. French people and Islamophobia, it's like hand in hand, like, it's like, ah. Oh. It literally, it goes, it's like a perfect union, yeah? The way these people love to be Islamophobic. It, but yeah, it's just, the thing is, like, these stories of some like, this is nothing compared to, like, oh, I mean, it is something, but, like, in comparison to so many other people, for example, even people who wear, like, the naqab, who wear that face veil, their experiences of Islamophobia is, like, times a thousand percent. Like, mm-hmm. I remember one time I was on the train back with my friend from uni, Shout out, Salah Saleh, um, And she, um, we were on the train. You know, like, the Central Line, sometimes they have them, like, hooligans coming from, like, East London, right? Yeah. So, we on the train. Wow, uh, and...
1: this divide. This
0: East, yeah, you know... West East Come on, divide. you know them West Ham fans. You know, all oh, right, yes. right, yeah, right. Sorry, Those I'm not going right. that far
1: on the, what is it, the Central Line.
0: No, no, no we were going, we're not, I'm we were going it, from you know? my lane. You know, oh, okay. But we were going from my back towards, um, I think I, I think it was, like, basically towards Central. So, from my to Central. And the people obviously okay. the train comes from East London, isn't it? So it's coming from like East Ham and all these weird areas. Um Big mm-hmm. Up anyone from East Yeah. I like I like you guys. Small small. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, basically we're on the way back, so we were on the train and stuff and these like hooligans have come on. It was like there was an English England match going on. So they were going towards the, to the stadium England. to watch the match.
1: Yeah, it was one of them,
0: and basically they made it like a massive fuss about the the fact that she wore hijab, and they were making so many comments, insinuations, and I was so angry. But the thing is, they were drunk and they had bottles in their hands, so I was mm-hmm. there was a physical threat. Let me tell you, the train was packed; not one person said anything. And when I spoke with her after, she was like, "Yeah, like these type of things is so common for me." She told me she one time she's been tripped tripped off the train by a random person. So it's like the the way. Like, okay, the way that terrorism has become synonymous with Islam and how and then because of that, how we are viewed as the enemy and how and how just like how um what's it what's the word I'm looking for, that like you guys have absolutely no like no morality to be, to be attacking Muslim women, like mm-hmm. you you're shook, you would never attack a Muslim man, but you're happy to attack Muslim women it's just it's really it's frustrating because you know when your parents when your mom or whatever your auntie whatever when they go out into the world, there's always a fear. For yourself, or your, from your young, even your younger siblings, when they go out into the world and they're visibly Muslim, there's always a fear something might happen to them. Yeah. Like even I'm not gonna bait out my area. Yeah? However, I live basically near Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, let's say that. And um, whenever there's a match, there's so so many like Chelsea like football fla- football fans and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one time, my, my, my like an auntie who lived like she was coming. I don't know why she decided to leave the house during match days because that's lock off. Yeah. But she decided to leave the house during the- Actually, she came <laughs> to my house she like she, she lived like five she lives like three four three to four minute walk away literally around the corner and as she when she came home she was speaking to my mom and she was like she said to me oh like what does this mean because she's she's a little bit fresher yeah? and basically someone had called her black muslim b-word so this like, a random fan had called her that so i'm like the way that even like she doesn't have to be fluent to catch what they're saying like you're Islamophobia is so prevalent in our society and it's not questioned and it's not condemned as well. Even I wanted to, okay, going back to France, I wanted to mention like how them French feminist movements did not support Muslim women and their fight. Like all the court cases that happened, these these people were silent. French feminist movements, especially white French feminist movements, absolute fake. Like you guys, <laughs> where's the feminism? Where's the support for where's women? Solidarity? Like, uh, like, it's not there. Not Sol-
1: Sol- solidarity, la'an. it is completely, utterly not there.
0: It's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not there, but I mean, how okay. Another question I had as well that I wanted to ask you because I think you mentioned it, you, want, you wanted to go over something before that, but, but I forgot. But, um, I wanted to bring up, um, how the basically the whole thing of, you mentioned like Sikhs and how even though the originally. This like secularism and lifestyle state uh, was for all types of religious symbols, but how it basically ended up being just a Muslim thing. And even like in terms of people who are, for example, Sikh or Jewish or people who, who would wear or who wear or who um who what's it called? who, who are visible observe, yeah. the appearance of their faith basically, they don't receive the same basically it's basically like a one it's a one rule for Muslim, one rule for Muslim, one and then another rule for everyone else, basically. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, where do I begin? So, yeah, exactly what you said. It's become... Sino- the the whole laïcité, the whole discussion around secularism in France has become synonymous with policing, the Muslim community especially. 100 mm-hmm. um, But where does this come from? I believe mm-hmm. it stems from, from observation. It stems from France's um, transition from an imperial power to... Um, a former imperial power that has a problem with um, the former colonised that Uh live within the metropole. And for a lot of these people, they actually do belong to a Muslim community. They are from a Muslim background. And um, let's use the Algerian case because that's the most documented and they are the biggest... um, minority let's say um uh-huh. but in grander terms they are a majority <laughs> um but in the algerian case you even mentioned before how they would have these devailing um ceremonies uh-huh. and i think that the french um the french fixation on algeria as a former um member you know a member of the club the French imperial <laughs> club um, their fixation on that and then them losing the, the war of independence that went on, mm. I think it went on for eight years and that was very recent history um, 16 probably yeah yeah yeah, it was very recent history um, that continues to affect Algerians today and their parents, their grandparents lived through it, for a lot of them um, but anyways, using the Algerian case you can clearly see how um, their former colonial practices, aka devailing women, would mm. manifest into current affairs today and the way mm-hmm. that the government continues to ostracize and um, cause sectarian lines within French civil society, unfortunately. Um, so I think ultimately it comes down to um, France confronting their dark past, their dark imperial past. And um, not taking accountability for yeah, yeah, yeah. their actions in Algeria, for their actions in West Africa as a whole, okay. for their actions in um, the Indian Ocean and the global yeah. the south entirely. French Polynesia, all the French Polynesia, but more so um, the Muslim countries, um, the Muslim majority countries that they colonized, you know? And then also, okay. um, I think it's very important as a Muslim to also talk about the other communities that are affected. So mm-hmm. um for example, I think that what's happening to the Muslims right now in France is reminiscent of what was um enforced on the Jews of France. 100%. Um, before mm-hmm. again, that was very recent in history. Vichy France, um, so which they have
0: a uh, which they even participated in as well. Like, yeah, exactly. How, how so these people are hypocrites. No?
1: And I believe it was the same president that we mentioned before, Jacques Chirac, who actually mm-hmm. finally um, admitted to France's role in deporting Jews to concentration mm-hmm. camps. But anyways, France does have a dark okay, history. Yeah, it has a dark history of. Um, persecuting Jews um, mm-hmm. and even though Vichy France was all the way it was in 1940s um, we still see those effects today um, yeah. not so much in the way that Muslims are persecuted but they yeah, are yes. still persecuted in other ways um, even I think it doesn't take much of a glance at Paris Um, Mm -hmm. to see how the Jewish community was sort of outed, ousted, (laughs) ousted is the word, Mm -hmm. ousted. Um, They historically lived in a neighborhood, I think you've probably visited, but it is in the 3rd, 4th district, and that is what we know today as the Marais (laughs) in English. It's sort of the Soho, chic, hipster, Mm -hmm. gentrified version (laughs) of France, it's um, pretty much all these global cities, Soho's on steroids, Mm -hmm. but that was historically a Jewish community and it's the same people who came from those communities that are persecuted today and that Mm -hmm. is why a lot of French Jews had actually um, taken, I think they say earlier in Hebrew, but they took um, the equivalent of what is hijra or pilgrim um, was it like movement to the the motherland, <laughs> and they mm. moved to Israel because they no longer wanted to. They did not want to continue facing persecution, and I feel like France is doing the exact same thing to its Muslim population. Mm. It's ostracizing them, there's a mad. point where they will want to leave. And I have seen a lot of French Muslims. Um, actually moving to places like same. the UK. hundred percent. In all my You'd conversations them,
0: it, right? Honestly, so many of them say the same thing. I wanted to jump just just um before you um I wanted to add as well the fact that like you can see how secularism and the like the way it's weaponized doesn't just affect Muslims. You're seeing like you mentioned how it affected the previous Jewish communities yeah. who a lot of like you said had to leave. And I wanted to add as well, just before we um we because I don't know how long we have left but Um, Mm -hmm. i wanted to mention the whole thing of like the apology like the fact that there's like a need for muslims to apologize for these crimes and and the whole there's like a i think a book that came out about it called um i refuse to condemn i think the one of the authors is called asim qureshi Mm -hmm. but it's the whole thing of like you see in schools i remember when i was in school like whenever there was a terrorist attack it was always a thing of like what's your opinion on it i don't know if you have this if you had that same experience so it's it's completely it's so frustrating, and I just wanted to um I honestly don't know how long we got left, but um I wanted to just quickly just touch on the the fact that like you said um secularism or like the colonial this this how it works secularism it doesn't just affect for example just like religious expression it also trickles down into education. And also in terms of resources, because these same communities that are suffering and that are persecuted against, also the same communities who don't receive the same funding as other communities of, of or white communities in France.
1: Yeah, you put it better than me. Yes. <laughs> um, a joke honestly well life a joke it is but that's um the situation we currently live in i wasn't able to talk about my university experience so much oh, yeah. but i feel like i experienced you do not worry that is coming through but university i wasn't implicated so much in secular politics mm-hmm. in the university but more in public sphere in france as someone who was working there, as um, someone who was visibly young student, Mm. who was attending lectures and talks, who was going into government buildings and things like that. But um, Mm. to summarise, I think it's very important to ask questions um, Mm. regarding this, um, but I feel like we should be asking the right questions. We shouldn't be Mm. so concerned about... um, what is currently happening today because it actually has been happening for so long it's just been broadcasted um much more and it's been publicized much more and i feel like that can cause um greater fear-mongering and with the power Mm -hmm. of social media it can really distort things that are happening on the ground but then again Mm -hmm. it could bring it could uh, sort of bring attention to um A greater evil that's happening and I feel like Mm -hmm. in the French case they have to reconcile with the colonial past in order to get past this and a lot of people would be asking questions will they be concerned with how things would look um, how it may play out they will be concerned with Macron's politics They will Mm. be concerned with the 2022 election that's coming up because of Mm. the rise of fascism and things like that. But I think it's more important to understand where it comes from and then Mm. deal with it in a way in which we're able to identify the issue Mm. at hand, which is Mm. the lack of accountability and the lack of scrutiny and address that, bring voices mm-hmm. to the front and bring more importantly um, people from this community to um, the table and allow them to discuss rather than these um, middle class, upper class, white old men who, <laughs> I was going to say, who vote Tory um, but yeah, respect to you guys um,
0: but 100%. yeah I think I... we
1: should be, concerned with that and um, we should not be aiming to reconcile because that would be sort of in a way, I studied this in first year, but they say that it's a way of um, like rescuing normalcy and bringing Mm -hmm. a rescuing like bringing about a future where we're just rescuing the settler Mm -hmm. rather than those who have been colonized so another thing lastly I just want to say that um, we shouldn't be concerned with questions of what decolonization would look like or how things would look after a certain election or what the consequences will be because these questions actually need not and perhaps cannot be answered in order for decolonization to exist as a framework, we should be more concerned with taking action because we Mm. have been discussing these things for way too long and we've been given attention to things as small as
0: Macron's tweets, you know? (laughs) I agree with you 100%. I definitely think that there's a tendency to have conversations rather than take action. And I wanted to add to what you're saying in terms of like action points and like in terms of what is next. I definitely think holding media accountable because they are the ones who are yeah. steering and and are manipulating the conversation around around like hijab or whether it's, it's Islam in France and Muslims that kind of stuff. And like you said, giving giving the space for Muslims to speak about their own own their own realities because more times in France when they talk about the hijab, there's five panelists, all of them are white men, so it's it's mad, but I think we have to wrap up here. But thanks so much for for joining me today. The conversation was very interesting. I yeah. hope everyone else enjoyed it and stuff, but I'm going to pause it.